You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cuz, we live. We live. This is Locked On Hornets. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team every day. Local experts on the number one daily sports podcast network. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast, and follow us on Twitter at Locked On Hornets. I was a part of the Delete 8 mock draft yesterday. It's the Delete 8 mock draft 3.0 that we've been doing because we need content during a pandemic, even if we do have the NBA the Delete Eight teams don't have the NBAs. We've been doing the mock draft, and it's the third one. And the Hornets were given the number one overall pick in a way that would never happen in reality. We are going to drop that episode tomorrow. Not are you excited to listen to that episode as you are going to be a listener rather than a contributor on that pod? Well, well, yeah. Again, I don't like the fact that you're actually driving this bus and you have not consulted me on this at all. Like, I don't like this. Again, again, we're partners. I didn't even know this was being recorded. No one invited me. No one told me this was going to happen. And then here you are driving the bus, not informing me. I, I, I don't understand. I don't understand. Well, um, I did ask you if you were going to be somebody, uh, if you were going to like this guy that I did draft, but maybe I was a little loosey goosey on the details as to why. So I don't think you're going to be upset wholeheartedly with what we decided to do at number one, but we did do something that may take the listeners aback as far as what you might want. So that is a tease for tomorrow. We'll be dropping that pod tomorrow, maybe even earlier, considering uh, we have it already ready in the bank for you. We don't have our those pesky daily jobs that get in our way. We can just go ahead and time that, and that'll drop early in the morning tomorrow at some point. I don't know when, but we've got that for you on a Friday edition of the Lockdown Hornets podcast. Today, what we have, we are dwindling down in the player evaluations. Nada, we have yes. two that we have paired together MKG and Marvin, I thought that would be appropriate because they play for different teams now. They were yeah, veterans yeah, on this yeah. team that were bought out and they went on to different teams to go play in the postseason. Marvin with championship aspirations. MKG uh, as a guy on a team that might cause some noise but can't imagine them beating the Clippers to move on to the second round still, at least a postseason berth for them. I thought that would be appropriate and that would leave us the one last guy to evaluate and how fitting I feel like the spinning wheel of names <laughs> did a really good job for us. I, yes. I bow down to the spinning wheel of names that leaves us Devonte Graham, the best for last to me, not a like, you know, Terry Rozier had some counting stats, but to me, I think Devonte Graham is the guy that certainly is the best story for the Hornets. I think the best player, and I don't know if it's all that close to me, but I do think Devonte Graham, he was the best story a fitting way to end as far as the player evaluations go. And then we can talk about James Borrego, maybe Mitch Kupchak and find some other ways to give you some evaluations. Exactly. Yeah. We're going to figure out some ways for content to give you guys. Um, I do agree with you though, that Devonte probably was the best player, but it was close. I'm not saying Terry was, I might've gone like, if we're talking best player, it might've gone Devonte and then PJ and then large gap Terry. Yeah. Give me yeah. Devonte. Yeah, give me Devontae, although PJ was was a lot of fun to watch this year, too. No, MKG was not a lot of fun to watch this year. Not a, you Unfortunately, know, yeah. I'm try I think we've done the eulogy for MKG already on this podcast. We you have. Know, we, we, we've got some content to I, I mean, we've got some games to work off with him, but man, not a whole lot. So you look no. at his first game that he appeared in in this season. 
it was, I believe it was game two against Minnesota, but that was the 20 point blowout. He doesn't appear in another contest until you get to November 18th. That's almost a month away. And that was a 36 point blowout when MKG got some action. So that's two games, Nada, in in a two month span before we get all the way to December 8th when he gets some real significant minutes in real time where the only time that he actually gets on the court, it's garbage time. It's absolutely nothing. MKG is buried on the bench as your 16th guy. (laughs) And then what happens is, like I said, he gets in that game against Atlanta on December 8th. Then he plays quite a few games in a row. He plays one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games in a row, and then gives you a little bit of time um, in a couple more games in December against Boston, which was a blowout by 26 points, and then also Memphis later on. But really, you're talking about those seven games in a row that we got to see him in December, um, and he was a part of some winning basketball games there. There was a three-game winning streak for the Hornets that he played in when the Hornets beat Washington, they beat Brooklyn, and they beat Chicago. They would also beat the Sacramento Kings on December 17th. That was the last win that MKG was a part of in that seven-game consecutive um, uh, contest that he actually appeared in. Scored 11 points was the most that he scored in that stretch. That came in a win against the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, He also scored seven points against Atlanta when he first appeared. You know, look, man, I mean, not a whole lot of numbers to gauge as far as what MKG did for the Hornets this season to finish out exactly all the games that he appeared in. He would appear in a game against Utah, a 17 point blowout that came on January 10th. And then he was bought out the last game he ever played in a Hornet uniform or the last game. I should say that he, at least he was a part of with the Hornets. It was uh, after that game against Houston, when Charlotte lost on the road by 15, the next few contests are all with the Dallas Mavericks. Look, it's unfortunate. We knew this yeah. at the beginning of the season. MKG, we always reference it when Rick Bennell asked him, has your role been communicated with you this season? He said, no comment. I mean, I think that was it. We knew what was going to happen with MKG, Nada. It's unfortunate. You know, I think this was a guy that did have some value back in the day. I think defensively, clearly, he's always been very good defensively. It's been somebody that's been good in transition, can score when he gets to the when he gets to the hoop. You know, I, I just that that's been his role was the slasher. We've seen some bright spots with the shooting. You know, he shot thirty four percent two years ago. We can remember the seven game appearance that he had before he got hurt, where he actually shot forty percent. It seemed like there was at least some semblance of a shot there, where everybody gave the Hornets coaching staff some credit, including Mark Price and I think Bruce Kreitzer. So, I mean, look, man, that it's it just unfortunate how it worked out with MKG. But as soon as Borrego came in, they used him a little bit. But as soon as Steve Clifford left, not, I mean, basically MKG was going to be shown the door sooner rather than later. Yeah, no, I, again, MKG, like the one thing, and we can go back to the Terry discussion that we had. The one thing that I do remember, or the one thing I will always remember is how MKG kind of handled his situation. Because he could have made noise. He could have said, play me or cut me. or Because, again, there were other players that complained and whined on social media. That person may, be, may or may not play for the Phoenix Suns saying, free me or play me or do <laughs> me. Or, or, like, literally, that part, again, he could have made noise. He could have made noise through back channels. He could have done a whole lot of stuff, and he chose not to. And instead, he happened to be a professional and just came in, did his job, and left. And the whole thing, like, and I know we've already done the eulogies, and I know we've done, the again, the sad stuff. I'm always going to wonder what happens in that 2016 year if he doesn't get hurt. 
the second time where he doesn't tear up his shoulder because the minute that happened, you knew it was done and he was never the same. And like, I'm just always going to wonder what if with that kid from, from there on. And after that, literally he aged out uh, again, the, the wings that can't shoot the Bruce Bowens, the Tony Allens of the world, those guys, and not necessarily Bruce Bowen, but the te- the Tony Allens of the world, like, they don't fit in a world where you can't shoot. And even Anthony Roberson, who's gotten some time with OKC, he's managed to shoot. And, like, it's just, like, that's going to be on the tombstone of MKG's time. He just couldn't shoot a jump shot, and it's kind of sad. Yeah, Borrego used him last year, two years ago, I should say. And there was some real impactful games that he played. And I think I, one game that I would always reference, there was a game against Milwaukee where I believe they won. And it was MKG just shutting down whoever had the basketball. And I don't know. I don't know if it was Giannis. I'm forgetting what game that, that was as far as, um, you know, who had the ball. But, you know, there, there was a time where Kid Gilchrist was somebody that Borrego actually did rely on defensively. And it, it came through for him. Like they won some games because of it. And then just offensively, it was someone that doesn't hit enough shots. And you see that Borrego did develop an identity for the Charlotte Hornets team offensively, where it was all about embracing the analytics, getting the good shots, getting the shots from the three-point line and getting shots closer to the rim. And even with MKG being able to shoot at the rim, you know, has a good field goal percentage in his career. Um, But it's because, you know, we always, because all the shots that did come to him, um, they were at the rim more so than anything. He shot 47%. Um, from the field for his career, but you know, Borrego just not anybody that wanted to play him because of his offensive deficiencies. And, you know, MKG has gone now playing with the Dallas Mavericks, barely getting any run there, looking at his game log, just with what he's done with Dallas in that game in that month of February, you know, he appeared in a 16 point win against Orlando about four minutes. The most minutes he got with Dallas was 21 against Minnesota in a 16 point win. And then he had uh, 15 and a half against Memphis and now we're looking at some August game. He played 18 minutes in that win against Utah in the bubble. So, you know, he is getting some run with Dallas, but you look at his offensive production. I mean, it's absolutely non-existent with Dallas. I mean, he's only scored two points in the bubble and he's been getting in, um, you know, a little bit here and there. I mean, the most he's ever scored is two points in any contest with Dallas. And that's despite having a few games with 15 or more points. So clearly, I mean, they're not looking for him to score the basketball whatsoever. No, um, and that's what, that's what happens with MKG, man. Look like there's just not a whole lot to go off of with him this season. And you're right. Like as far as the attitude goes, I don't know how much MKG was ever going to be vocal because that's the quietest dude that we'll ever have in that locker room. And we all know about, the ability that he had to overcome his stuttering problem. And it's really cool. He had a pod with Adrian Wojnarowski where I think he talked about that a couple of years ago. And it was a real problem that he, you know, we should commend him for overcoming and facing his fears as far as public speaking goes. But it's still not like he was somebody that welcomed all of the media attention. It was always, you know, a guy a few words anytime mm-hmm. that we would have the preseason press conferences for him. And so I don't know if that translates into him actually being quiet on some of these fronts as far as maybe how frustrated he might be. Um, But yeah, I mean, clearly, clearly MKG was extremely frustrated with his role. The only reason he opts in with the Hornets because it's too much money to pass up and he eventually gets bought out um, and and plays for the Dallas Mavericks and and not, I believe Mitch Kupchak 
didn't even want to do it, if I'm not mistaken, right? Like, I think he was yeah. fine to do it with Marvin, but I remember Mitch Kupchak making a comment, something to the tune of, I, I generally don't like doing buyouts. So, yeah, um, yeah I think it was Michael Jordan kind of granting um, MKG a wish there. Yeah, exactly. I know people, again, and that's something that's kind of nuts is that, like, again, I understand you don't believe in buyouts. And ironically, the only agency that doesn't seem to believe in buyouts as well is a clutch sports agency as well. But it's just really interesting to see everything that the way it went down, because again, granted, like Michael Jordan had to be the one to let him go, meaning there is a bond with, uh, with MKG and, and Michael Jordan, I think. And it's one of those things, like when we start looking back at this, I just, again, I'm like, I said, there's nothing but sadness. I'm hoping that he can continue his career. I don't think he will unfortunately, or if he does, it's going to be on a minimum contract somewhere else. But he's one of those guys that I really just wonder, like, again, if he ever gets that shot together, he's going to still have a second career. And I'm hoping that he does, or if he has a career renaissance or becomes an Anthony Tolliver-like guy where he sticks around and plays till he's 40, quite honestly. Um, yeah. Salutations to MKG. We appreciate your time here. And eventually, and this season was just, it was done. You know I mean? It was, it was done before it even started. Let yes. the, the year prior was the last time. And, and we all knew it. We all knew that this was going to be the last time that MKG would ever be really in a Charlotte Hornet uniform and do any kind of production for them whatsoever. My bookie is a home run slam dunk, triple overtime game winning shot all wrapped up into one. I love it. You love it. And that should be all you need to hear in order to start betting today. My bookie has up to the minute odds on all of your favorite teams. And with the NBA in full force, there's never been a better time to start playing. With my bookie, it's easy. You bet, you win, and they pay. Feeling good about your team's chances this year? Be sure to check out my bookie's NBA's future bets. And you don't have to stop at basketball either. They have hockey and football. You can get your baseball bets in right now. There's never been a better time to start exploring the world of online sports betting. Join today and MyBookie will match your deposit 100%. Plus, they'll toss you a free $10 NBA future wager. And all you got to do is enter promo code LOCKEDONNBA when signing up. Remember, at MyBookie, the terms are simple. You bet, you win, they pay. Marvin Williams actually did give you some things to do, uh, some production, some things to talk about for the Charlotte Hornets. We'll talk about that next on the Locked On Hornets podcast. This is Locked On Hornets. I'm not a big fan of grape jelly. I kind of, I'm a little insulted that you referred to me as grape jelly. I'm not a fan of grape anything. Now, I like grapes, but I don't like grape flavoring. I think it goes back to the Robitussin that I had as a kid, and I just don't like grape flavoring. Anyway, great to yeah, be back. Great to be back on the show. <laughs> It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. You know, not of the difference between Marvin Williams, Nick Batum, and an MKG is I view Nick Batum and Marvin Williams more as mentors because of yes. the kind of personality that they have where maybe we, we didn't hear anything bad from MKG whatsoever, right? Like yeah. anybody that's ever covered MKG doesn't have a bad thing to say about him. And, and I can't find a reason why you would. There's, there's no straw man argument as to say why MKG, there's a negative thing to say about him as far as his personality goes, right? But yeah. Nick Batum 
it, Doug has a problem with his laissez-faire type of attitude and just not ins- inserting himself into the offense. And that can get extremely maddening, right? Just yes. Somebody that's not aggressive whatsoever. You know, he's notorious for just standing off to the side, not doing anything. And, you know, the assist numbers, he, he's, al- he's been a good passer. He's always had a good feel for the game. But the lack of aggression, it's obviously there. And Doug and I have, I don't know if we've argued like hell about this, but we've had some differing viewpoints on it. But in the end even with that kind of lack of aggression from Nick Batum, you still see him embracing guys on the bench, right? Like yes. you still see him actually being vocal about uh, helping some of these young guys maybe see something on the court. And, and Marvin certainly so. I mean, there's absolutely no denying that. Marvin was not only no, on the yeah. bench embracing the young guys, but he's out there playing. I mean, he's out there actually barking orders as far as a defensive standpoint goes. He's the linebacker. He's the Luke Keekley telling... Talk, calling all the defensive coverages. He's helping you knock down a three-point shot in the corner if somebody drives and penetrates to kick out. You know, Marvin was absolutely a part of this team, and he was the veteran that was probably most a part of this team. You know, Bismack yes. was probably second in that regard. It goes Marvin, it goes Bismack, and then Cody Zeller, too. Like, Cody Zeller's up there yeah. with Marvin as well. But just as far as the old guys go... You know, Marvin was there, then it's Bismack, and then, you know, then we get to the guys that were on the bench. But Marvin gave you some production. Not only was was he giving you production, but he he gave you a mentor out there. And, you know, people were sad to see him go. Like, not only Charlotte Hornets fans, you know, I remember putting out a tweet like, yeah, man, I can't, I, I love this time here. You know, I only wish him the best. I hope that he's able to get a ring with Milwaukee. Um, and but the players, you know, the, the players really talked about the kind of mentor role that uh, Marvin Williams served with that team, and I think that hurt them. Not only did it hurt them to see Kemba go, but it hurt them to see Marvin go. Honestly, I think it hurt the whole organization to see Marvin go because Marvin was the guy that you always went to for a quote in in that locker room at points because he would give you something clear, concise, and then you'd roll out there having understood something better. The, the Marvin Williams loss, when we start talking about like what you they lost, they lost something that I think they really do have to replace because it's leadership. Because you know, to a man, no matter how many times you talk to him, again, all the young guys would bring up Marvin and how important Marvin was to, and how he set the tone for work ethic. And granted, that might be a PJ, but someone's going to have to eventually step up when we start talking about developing a culture and, and keeping the culture going. And it can't be just Borrego and the coaching staff because it never works like that. You have to have full-on buy-in from the players. And Marvin was the great, at the best at doing that thus far. And that's where I think they're going to lose him. And the other, and one other thing, Walker, I would say, the one big difference between like Nick Batum, MKG, and Marvin Williams is Marvin's the guy I wouldn't be surprised if he's like, having an office role here in in two years when he's finally done. Yeah. Uh, that's the guy, uh, like, when we started talking about the differences, I wouldn't be surprised to see him back here because he did a lot of stuff in front and behind the scenes, especially when it came to giving back to the community. Yeah. I mean, Marvin is somebody that could go into TV. You know, he's, he's got a career in basketball that doesn't have to involve playing on the court. You know, and anybody would welcome that guy as a personality, whether it be in the front office or whether it actually be in front of the camera somewhere. And it does seem like this could be his last season. You know, that was something that we were all questioning. And so you, you grant that guy a buyout because even with 
business ruling all. And at the height of cynicism, you could say, I don't care. This is a business. I want Marvin to be the mentor on this team. We're not going to grant you a buyout just to do you a solid to go play for another team. This is something that, you know, we want you to be on this roster. So, you know, screw you. You're stuck with this contract. Like at the height of cynicism, you might feel that. And and I certainly would disagree with that, right? Like you yeah. do that guy a solid because of what he's brought to the organization. It's somebody that might retire this season, allow him to go win a championship. And there is that business aspect as well, where, you know, players that are free agents, they'll view that. Marvin Williams will be like, yeah, though they did me a solid here, letting me go to Milwaukee to win a championship. And then that might entice some free agents to go play for the Hornets if the Hornets are really after one. So I'm glad that they were able to do that. Now, more importantly, like we can, if you start going down the list of the Jordan organization and the people that have actually been granted buyouts or again, the veterans that don't have hard feelings towards this organization for a couple of years, um, that list is very, very short, very, very short. Mm -hmm. And when you start thinking about the Gerald Wallace's of the world, you start thinking about the Frank Kaminsky's that were complaining about being let go again, let him go or play me. Um, Again, there were some there was some rumored bad blood between Kemba and Jordan on the way out. Like th- this team has got to start fixing stuff like that. And the fact that they did that with MKG, the fact they did that with Marvin Williams, I think that's something that we have to really just look at when we start talking about okay, how are you going to conduct yourself behind the scenes and up front? So like I, it's one of those things. Like I'm glad that they did business the quote unquote right way, the modern way, because otherwise, like again, we've seen the way this has ended before, and it usually doesn't go well. So there are some numbers to look at for Marvin. He contributed, as we mentioned. So he shot 45% from the field. He did so on five attempts per game. He shot 38% from three, 37.6 to be exact. His effective field goal percentage was 55.2. And his effective field goal percentage has been mostly pretty damn good for the Charlotte Hornets in his entire career. Only on 1.2 attempts from the line, he shot 86%. Grabbed you 2.7 rebounds and scored 6.7 points per game. Did not turn the ball over a whole lot because this is, you know, his, his offensive role was basically catch and shoot. And that was it. He'll set some picks for you, but really just the catch and shoot kind of guy. And I believe one of the deadliest shooters from the corner, if I'm not mistaken, which how hilarious is it that, uh, PJ Washington kind of is Marvin <laughs> reincarnated in that front, yes, right? Like yes, PJ was, was deadly from the corner, if I'm not mistaken, trying to remember though. I know miles had some success there too, but Marvin, you know, when you would have the Kirk's Goldberry sheets about who was the hottest from those zones, I think Marvin might have occupied both corners. I'm trying to think if that's right, yeah. but certainly there were times in the last two seasons where he would do that. And that would be cool to see PJ kind of uh, grab that baton from Marvin. So look, man, yeah, like the happiest of trails. Uh, I hope that Marvin Williams walks on, right? The, the, the unfortunate yeah, part. Yeah, the unfortunate part here with Marvin Nada is the fact that he actually hasn't played all that well, at least shot the ball that well with Milwaukee. So you look at the uh, 16 games that he's appeared in with Milwaukee, he's only shooting 42% from the field, but he's shooting 29% from three on two and a half threes per game. So they're just not falling nearly as much as what they were with the Hornets. Now he is, you know, the other numbers are kind of minuscule. He's only averaging 3.9 points per game. Uh, The rebounds, he's actually giving you quite a bit more than what he did with the Hornets in a small sample size. He's giving you four and a half rebounds per game. I I hope that Marvin can contribute, right? Like that's a guy that doesn't have a, a ton of playoff experience either. You know, you're talking about mostly bad Atlanta teams 
Um, I think that was one or two, one or two years, like one of those two years with Utah. And then that one, those two, those, um, that one year with Charlotte. Yeah. Yeah. 15, 16. Right. Yeah. The, yeah. the, the playoff appearance that he had with the Hornets. So hopefully, hopefully uh, some good things can happen for him in the bubble with Milwaukee, Milwaukee, I believe, uh, uh, yeah, they definitely have the the number one seed locked up. I think they're three and seven in their last 10. I forget what it is in the bubble, but haven't looked that great. Hopefully Marvin can give you some good production there. Start your morning with the news that matters in just 10 minutes. Axios Today host Nyla Boodoo and a team of award-winning journalists will bring you the latest analysis and insight into the trends shaping our world. We will uh, talk about the NBA bubble seedings um the the seeding games the playoff matchups they are set in the east and mostly set in the west we'll talk about some of the things that intrigue us next on the locked on hornets podcast this is locked on hornets well don't let hold on don't let me in my take on that because that's not what i mean i don't mean that he shouldn't nope, be in that's the what you meant and no, it's disrespectful i mean that You're anthony Oliver. i'm trevion graham that's who i love it's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. I was extremely excited coming into the bubble because, of course, we were going to get basketball. Mm-hmm. But even when the season ended, Nada, more so this year than maybe even years past, I loved the storylines that were in front of us. Like I thought yeah. this was even just on the average intrigue that you have entering any postseason. This one had so much more in the East because I thought there was a lot of really good teams. And even yes. the team that was on a historic pace with Milwaukee at one point being on pace for 70 wins, you still had some massive questions at with one, their star who mm-hmm. doesn't shoot well from the outside and was locked up by Kawhi Leonard last year. And you have Mike Budenholzer who his biggest criticism is that he doesn't adjust in the playoffs. And that was the number one team. Toronto just kept giving you evidence as to why this was still a very legitimate contender. Indiana had a bunch of these stars. You know, Miami was playing extremely well. Philadelphia is this huge enigma where nobody knows how to figure them out. Like there was so many crazy and Kimba with Boston, of course, not to leave them out. Yes. Like there were so many interesting storylines. And now we have the playoff matchup set for the East, Nada. And I think the first round has actually lost some intrigue for me because really we well, we have some in the first round because we have some injuries, right? Like Philly you just have to be done with Philly at this point, right? Like there's just no way you can be scared of Philly anymore. And so that was going to be crazy interesting to me watching Boston and Philly go at it, but yes. Joel and beads banged up and Ben Simmons isn't going to play. And they've already given you a ton of evidence as to why you shouldn't trust them. Then you just got to go Boston there. Like I just yeah. don't have as much fear of Philadelphia because of what's happened. And then the other matchup that we get the Pacers in the heat, they're good teams, but they're going to be facing against each other. Mm-hmm. One, the Pacers don't have Sabonis and TJ Warren has plantar fasciitis as we just found this out yesterday. Hello. We had no clue that TJ Warren, the once upon a time uh, bubble MVP is actually playing with this injury. He is going to play in the postseason, but the Pacers have been dominated by the heat. I mean, even in that game in the bubble, Jimmy Butler won the Warren Butler matchup and the heat dominated the Pacers to the point where the Pacers looked ugly offensively. You know, we're going to get a lot more intrigue, I think, as we move on. But I, I think it's gone down for me a little bit as to I think it's going to be chalk. Not I think one through four all advance to the second round. Yeah. See, here's the thing, though. Like, I wasn't going to trust Philly regardless if Ben Simmons was healthy or not, because they hadn't looked good. 
there was nothing about the Philadelphia 76ers that made me think, hmm, they weren't going, they were going to win a, a best of seven against Boston. No, because again, you don't trust Brett Brown. You don't trust the roster makeup. And oh yeah, just Al Horford out there, as much as I like him, like they're going to have to do something with that. Um, the, the Pacers and the Heat, look, you say that it's not going to be all that competitive. Look, at this point, there's going to be a fight to break out in that series. And I'm looking <laughs> forward to this because we're going to get an actual break. Again, just knock down, drag out fight. Because you know what? We haven't had a good basketball fight in quite a while, Walker. And why are you trying to poo-poo on that on the way to a chalk? Again, it's not necessarily about the results. It's about the context. It's about the journey on the way there, Walker. So don't... Well, I th- I'm so enjoy that. You, I'm trying to tell you I don't think the journey is going to be as fun as it if was. If we get a fight out of it, yes, it will be. Yeah, okay, that's fine. I'm talking about, and I'd be here for it, but I'm talking about the actual games that we get where, like, if you were to, I mean, you, you could argue that, I mean, the Pacers might be better against the Celtics than the Heat just because of the way that the Heat have really taken it to what the Pacers have done this season. I think they're 3-0 and against the Pacers this year, if I'm not mistaken. So look, I'm not saying that can't be tantalizing. I'm just telling mm-hmm. you, you know, the Heat, certainly have owned the Pacers in the previous matchup. And then you go to the Western Conference. I'll ask you, Nada, like, it, it, how much should we really fear? It's, it's a trendy topic. Damian Lillard has been absolutely on fire. That game against Dallas, I mean, was just freaking bananas. I freaking loved it. I, I, I couldn't get more Damian Lillard. I, I, I couldn't get more Portland Trailblazers. And yet, even with the Lakers struggling, nobody I think wants to go fully out on that limb and say that Portland is going to beat the Lakers. Like how seriously should we be really worried about the Lakers losing to Portland? We shouldn't because again, here's the thing. Anyone that's really scared to go on that limb again, that that's really confident going on that limb of Portland's going to beat the Lakers. They're really just dumb and you really shouldn't trust them at all because at this point, because Walker, here's the thing. We know that these offenses aren't going to click, but you know what we haven't seen really all that much this in this bubble yet from any team that had anything that had nothing to play for? We haven't seen them adjust on defense yet. So let's see what these teams do. Let's see what a lot of these teams that are hot that, that haven't had to play yet. Let's see what these teams do in terms of changing up their defenses because once they start changing up the defenses, once they start doubling guys, and once they start really start showing all the stuff that they didn't want on film, then, hey, then maybe we can start just actually taking this seriously. But remember, I'm the same guy that told you on this podcast, I didn't take any of this. Like, there's nothing to really glean from anyone from that had nothing to play for. And I still believe that, by the way. There's so the nothing eight, to glean. Nothing so to the glean. Eight, the eight seed is still up for grabs as there are mm-hmm. a ton of teams trying to fight for that eight seed. It is really fun. Like maybe in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter because we all are going to have the Lakers moving on no matter what team makes it. But still, if you like basketball, then this is going to be fun. Portland is in the eight seed right now, but we're going to find this out today who actually is that last team in Memphis still mm-hmm. has a shot. The Phoenix suns could go eight. No, and still not make it into the postseason, which would be unfortunate for them as they've been one of the best stories of the bubble and the San Antonio Spurs. They have the uh, lowest odds to be able to get in the postseason, but they're still alive at least as it stands so right what do you now. Want to see as the eight and the nine. What do you want to see as that playing game? Um, I would like to see poor, I mean, poor, 
Portland Phoenix, like, you know, Memphis, I think Memphis has been exposed, you know? So, and and as much as I love Memphis for the future, I feel like they're NBA Twitter's favorite team along with the Pelicans, you know, the Suns have certainly gained a lot of ground in that area. And Mm -hmm. if you go seven and oh, and especially if you go eight, no man, like definitely give me, give me that reward as much as I hated on the Suns getting in the postseason, And I did, or at least in this restart, You know, like they've earned it. Like Devin's been fantastic. I love DeAndre Ayton. Mikhail Bridges has been excellent. And how about North Carolina guy Cam Johnson? People who we made fun him. of on the po- yeah, on the draft people, podcast. Yeah, people killed him. People killed him. Uh, and and Cam Johnson, I, I think uh, you know he's going to be on some all second all team uh, second all rookie second team. I can't even talk all rookie second team uh, ballots out there. So yeah, give me Phoenix and then give me Portland because I want to see more Damian. Yeah, that that that's what I want to get with that eight nine seed. Yeah, uh, I'm with you on that because again, I'm t- I'm just quite honestly, I'm tired of seeing Memphis. I'm tired of again, y'all have y'all have had your chances you now. Yeah, yeah, they're they're again. I, I hate to be basketball. Actually, no, I don't hate to be basketball hipster, but I'm going to be basketball hipster. I'm tired of seeing them. Let's move on. Let's get a, again. More importantly, I want to know what Doug thinks about this whole Devin Booker thing because we we may need to have to talk to him about this, especially if I, the Phoenix gets the eight seed. I can tell you that he texted me. He said, all these people are getting Devin snookered right now. I'm telling he's the one that is uh, correct. And all of us are the ones that are falling for this performance here that he's put on the bu- in the bubble. I'm trying to pull up his text message real quickly. Yeah. Oh, so no. Doug, he texted me and he said, uh, all these poor souls getting Devin snookered. He's all caps reeling you in. That's what he texted me yesterday. So of course, of course that's what Doug would of say. Of course he did. Um, intriguing playoff matchup in the West real quickly while we have some time, Nada, who are you going with? We know about the Lakers eight. That can't be it. I can't imagine you go Clippers Mavs, even though the Mavs have looked good. The other one we have three, six nuggets, jazz four, five thunder rockets. Uh, what of those matchups that I present to you, do you find the most intriguing? Um, can I, is there any way you can find a five game sweep, uh, intriguing because Nuggets jazz might be really intriguing in terms of how fast they dispatch the jazz. Okay. And wow. Zero, zero confidence in Utah. No, no. You, here's the thing. If they had Bogdanovich, if Bogdanovich was going to play, I would give them a shot at beat at, at least making a series of something. But I think Denver needs to get as many games in as quick just finish just dispatch some um Denver needs to finish Utah as fast as possible quite honestly because they have a second round matchup with the Clippers and the only other thing might be Houston like Houston OKC is interesting to me because there's no it looks like at least from right now because of uh what Adrian Wojnarowski just reported no Russell Westbrook for the first uh first round yeah, that could get interesting. I didn't even see that. That sucks, though. I would love to have seen Russell compete against Chris Paul and the OKC Thunder, and then, of course, have that reverse, see Chris Paul compete against the Houston Rockets. That would have been a lot of fun, where the Rockets are known to kind of randomize the game. They have one of the best individual offensive players in the league in James Harden, maybe the best individual offensive player. And so it sucks that we're not going to get to see Russell Westbrook in the first round. Also, you're right. Like I, I do find the Nuggets jazz a little bit intriguing. You got some young some young guys that are impressive with Donovan Mitchell and and even Michael Porter Jr. with what he's done with Denver, man, he's looked good in the bubble. And then, uh, and then of course the center battle, Rudy Gobert and Nikola Jokic, the fun center battle to get. I I will say this. Gobert is going to get embarrassed. We may, we may be talking about this. (laughs) Like we talk about 
the Admiral and Akeem Olajuwon from 94 mm. that bad. I think it's going to be bad. I think it's going to be ugly. And it, it's just like as far as like the Nuggets are intriguing to me because if we when we start talking about teams and how you build teams and how you develop talent, Denver's low-key becoming one of those teams where that's how you develop talent. And that's how, again, how you develop talent how you draft talent, how you build a good team that might be one more clutch piece away from becoming a real problem in the West for a long, long time. Well, that's why Michael Porter Jr. is so important because, you know, even with Denver being one of the best regular season teams last year, it's still a team that has to fight tooth and nail, barely escaping the Spurs. And then eventually CJ McCollum has a great series against the Nuggets and they kick them out of the playoffs. But Denver, Mm -hmm. one of the best regular season teams. And yet it's not like anybody was surprised about what they did in the postseason because the postseason, it changes. You know, where is the other stars on that roster? They have a lot of really good young guys could any of them take that next step and I don't think you've seen Jamal Murray take that next step they need the other star to go along with Nikola Jokic and if Michael Porter Jr. can be that then that's huge for that team he might be too young for the Denver Nuggets to be a real NBA finals contender this year Mm -hmm. but like if Michael Porter Jr. is that guy next season then that's exactly what the Denver Nuggets needed all along they have plenty of talent but who is the other star? And if MPJ is going to come out here balling like he did in the bubble next season, then yeah, that's that's the thing that the Denver Nuggets need. So it'll be fascinating to see uh, exactly what we'll get from all of these playoff matchups that we'll see uh, going forward. That wraps up this edition of Locked on Hornets. Thanks again for supporting the show. Now tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of rejecting the screen. Tomorrow, we will release our Delete 8 Mock Draft 3.0. The Hornets, your Charlotte Hornets, have the number one overall pick. Find out who we picked and then also find out who Detroit put uh, picked second and then Minnesota picked third. We all talk about our selections, why we selected the player we did, some of the needs that we have on each of these franchises. It was a fun episode to record. Again, that pod going to be dropping tomorrow morning. Thanks again. And because we won't talk to you tomorrow, make sure you guys have a good week.